I speak to you today, my friends, on how to know whether you are right with God. It's worth much more than knowing how to make a fortune. What cause for rejoicing, for gratitude? What a spring of energy. What strength in trouble and courage in defeat to know one is right with God. Because when we speak of God, my friends, we're speaking of him in whom we live and move and have our being. He's the author of life, the preserver of life, and he is our judge. To know we are right with him is worth more than all other knowledge in the world. Some people say, but that's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? To go around saying that you know that you're right with God. My friends, it's not presumptuous, it's common sense. Suppose you meet me and there's a lady with me. And you say, is this lady your wife? And my answer is, well, I'm not sure. But I hope so. You would think me somewhat strange. Or if you pointed to one of my children and said, is this your child? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but I hope so. That would be more than strange. Or suppose there was a, a car outside my house. And you said, this is your car? Is it? And I said, I'm not sure. You would surely think that I'm strange indeed. My friends, the salvation one hopes one has but isn't sure will do no more good than the money one hopes one has and isn't sure. Paul did not say, I hope I know in whom I have believed. Job did not say, I hope my Redeemer liveth. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him unto that day. Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. And he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, whom mine eyes shall behold and not another's. Yes, my friends, we may know how we stand with God. There's one whole book devoted to it. It's the first epistle of John. In the Greek, the word know occurs 40 times. 40 times. Let me read you a few typical passages from this book. Because if you read it through, you can answer for yourself the question whether you have eternal life right now, whether God's accepted you, whether all your past guilt is gone. You can answer that within a quarter of an hour of just reading this little epistle through. Let's take a few typical verses. I'm reading from the second chapter of First John, verses 3 to 5. By this we may be sure that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandment is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him truly love for God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Now I'm reading from chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And now in the fifth chapter, in verses 18 to 20. We know that anyone born of God does not sin, meaning perpetually, willingly sin. But he who was born of God keeps him, meaning Christ, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding to know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Did you notice? We know and we know and we know. And don't misunderstand that verse about we know that anyone born of God doesn't commit sin. The writer is speaking about presumptuous, willful sinning, not the slips the failures which we hate and detest and fight against. Because the same epistle says, if any man sin, we have an advocate. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you must not let your assurance, friends, be shaken by your failures and mistakes. To be human is to err, but a Christian hates to err. He hates sin and fights it and flees from it. But even when he does his best, he still must pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. In the same fifth chapter of First John, in verse 13, it says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Don't think, my friends, of eternal life as something future. Eternal life is ours the moment we believe, and for as long as we believe. It is a quality of existence as well as a time. The New Testament certainly teaches that we can have assurance. We know we've passed from death unto life. We know we have eternal life. We know we are of God. In ancient Israel, the priests had to know their pedigree or they could not be priests. And the soldiers had to know their pedigree, or they couldn't go to war. Read about it in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 51 and 54, and Numbers chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And today, my friends, we cannot be the priests and soldiers of Christ unless we know that we've been born again, that God is our Father. Let me read you again from this book. And I'm still in the fifth chapter in verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne to his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. My friends, if you've laid hold of Jesus as your Saviour, you have eternal life and you can know it. In the Gospel of John, every chapter except two speaks of believing. Just as the word know, K-N-O-W, which in the epistle is found 40 times in its Greek forms, in the Gospel it occurs approximately 70 times. Believing in Christ and knowing our salvation go together, my friends. Let me read you one or two verses from the Gospel of John. I'm turning to John chapter 6, and verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And notice the 40th verse and the 47th. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. 
Well, the question we must ask now is what is this believing? If he that believeth has eternal life, what is this believing? The Jews asked for a work of God to do, and Jesus said, this is the work that you believe. It's very vital, because the same book says, he that believeth hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not, the wrath of God abides on him. In the 8th chapter, in the 24th verse, I had just quoted the third chapter in the 31st verse, but this later verse says, Except ye believe I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Well, what is this believing? Well, says one preacher, it means coming to Christ. But what's that mean? Am I to sit on nettles all the time because the preacher doesn't tell me how to come to Christ? I can't fly to Christ? I can't walk on my feet to him? I come to Christ with my mind and my heart. I come to Christ by believing what he says. And the word belief, B-E-L-I-E-F, comes from two old words, to buy, live, to live by. I believe what I live by. It's sometimes made too easy. It's sometimes made too hard. But if we see Jesus, my friends, That seeing brings believing. It creates it. Let's talk about what it's not. Believing is not repenting. We can't even repent of ourselves. The Bible calls repentance a gift. We can no more repent without the Spirit of Christ to awaken the conscience. We can be pardoned without Christ. We can no more repent perfectly than we can live perfectly. But the cross, my friends, is the wonder-working rod that can bring water out of the rock. Repentance from our hard hearts. Repentance does not make us see Christ. But to see Christ makes us repent. That's what it says in the book of Acts. Him hath God exalted to be a prince and a saviour, to give repentance unto Israel. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, it tells us in Romans. My friends, the gospel is the opposite of legalism. Legalism says, if you're good, God will love you. The gospel says, though you are not good, God loves you. Believe it, and he will make you good. We're not to look for holiness in order to be accepted of God. We're to accept our acceptance, and that will bring holiness. So faith isn't repenting, and faith isn't reforming either. One might just as well try to leap over the moon as serve God in the flesh, Whatever's not of faith is sin. Any attempts to reform oneself before one has accepted one's acceptance is sin. The Episcopalian Church has famous 39 articles in its creed. One of them says this, Works done before the grace of Christ and the inspiration of his Spirit are not pleasant to God, forasmuch as they spring not of faith in Jesus Christ. Neither do they make men meet to receive grace. Rather, for that they are not done as God hath willed and commanded them to be done, we doubt not, but that they have the nature of sin. In other words, my friends, all our attempts to reform are so many splendid sins unless we believe what God has said about his love for us and Christ's death for us. No one is ever saved till they give up trying to save themselves. God's the author of life. We, we can't give it to oneself. It's like someone drowning. Someone drowning has to give up his efforts, give himself up to the Saviour that swam out to help him. 
we have to give ourselves up to Christ. Faith isn't reforming. It's not trying either. There was a woman who'd been trying for a long time to be better and better. God gave her a dream. She thought she was in a pit striving to get out, climbing and slipping, climbing and slipping, climbing and slipping. At last she gave up the struggle, laid herself down at the bottom of the pit to die. She happened to look up and saw through the mouth of the pit a beautiful star. She fixed her eye on it, and it seemed as if the star lifted her up till she was almost out. But then the thought of herself and her own efforts came to her mind. She looked off to the sides of the pit, and immediately she lost sight of the star, and down to the bottom of the pit she plummeted. Again she fixed her eye on the star, and again it seemed to lift her almost out. But once again she took her eye off the star and looked at herself, and down to the pit she fell again. The third time she fixed her eye on the star and was lifted higher and higher, till all at once her feet struck the ground above, and she awoke from a dream. My friends, trusting is reposing in the arms of Jesus, realising that he has done what we could never do, believing that as we're not saved by our good works, neither are we lost by our bad works. Yes, we are saved by works, my friends, but not our own. We're saved by Christ's works. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. Don't try and buy it. It's a gift. Read the last verse of Romans 5. Five times there we're told that righteousness is a gift. That shouldn't surprise us, my friends. The best things are free. What do you pay for a ray of sunshine? A drop of water? The sight of green grass and blue hills, smile from a friend, the embrace of a spouse. Love that is bought, my friends, is prostitution. God's not in that business. So if you see your sinfulness, don't wait to make yourself better. How many people there are that think they're not good enough to come to Christ. How foolish to think we can become better by our own efforts. The Bible asks the question, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the Lebedee's spots, so can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. There's help for us only in God. We mustn't wait for stronger persuasions, for better opportunities or holier tempers. We can do nothing of ourselves. We must come to Christ just as we are. That's how the lepers came to him. That's how the blind men came to him. Just as they were. My friends, he won't leave us as we are. The promise of scripture is he'll cause us to keep his statutes. He'll cause us to walk in his ways. He'll write his law in our hearts and our minds and we'll love to run in the way of his commandments. We'll walk at liberty because we keep his precepts. The righteous of the law will be fulfilled in us because we no longer walk after the flesh but after the spirit. Sin will not have dominion over us because we've learned that we're not under the law as a method of salvation. We're under grace. And once we're under grace, my friends, sin loses its charms. Listen to the poem. It's finished, yes, indeed. Finished every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? The scripture says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, says Ephesians. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, 
and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. For a man is justified by faith regardless of his success in keeping the law of God. I've been quoting scripture, my friends. That last verse is Romans 8, is Romans 3.28, the New English Version. So faith or trust, belief, it's not repenting, it's not reforming, it's not trying, and it's not feeling. Too many confuse faith and feeling. They're different, my friends. You can't help your feelings. If we could help our feelings, we'd never have a headache. We'd never feel ill. We'd never have a toothache. The Bible doesn't say, He that feeleth, or he that feeleth and believeth hath everlasting life. Faith is not feeling. Dwight L. Moody had trouble with one lady trying to get this across. And at last he said to her, Madam, what was it that saved Noah? His feelings or the ark? And she saw it. Christ is our ark. The storms of the wrath of God have beaten upon him. But if we're in him, my friends, we're safe. And we'll be lifted up to the mountaintops of heaven and rest in him there. Look to Jesus, weary one. Look and live. Look at what the Lord has done. Look and live. Though unworthy, vile, unclean, look and live. Look away from self and sin. Look and live. Don't look at the wound, my friend. Don't look at your weak will. Don't look at your failures. Remember those Israelites in the wilderness had been stung by serpents? God told them to look at the uplifted serpent on the banner star, the figure of Christ made sin for us. Suppose they hadn't looked but made ointments instead and put plasters on and bandages. My friends, they'd have died. Don't look at the wound. Look to the remedy. This faith that saves us is not faith in faith. You know, looking at our faith is like a man plucking his eye out to see whether it's in good shape. We're not to look to self. We're not to look at anything that we have. Faith is a hand that receives. It's the foot that runs. Faith is reclining, resting. You remember the small boy seeing the well-set table, saying, give me a knife and a fork and a chance. That's faith. It's not my taste, but what I taste that satisfies my appetite. It's not faith itself, but Christ. Faith is a hand that takes him. It's Christ that is our life and our righteousness. Someone may say, well, faith's the gift of God, and God hasn't given it to me. My friends, faith is the gift of God. So is the air, but you have to breathe it. So is bread the gift of God, but you have to eat it. So is water the gift of God, but you have to drink it. Romans 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hudson Taylor once said, Not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one is all we need. Do you see it, my friends? Christ received as holiness begun. Christ cherished as holiness advancing. Christ counted upon as never absence. That would be holiness complete. We don't mean by faith just a medal yes or an amen to set doctrines because the scripture says the devils believe and tremble. They're certainly not right with God. What then is faith? Faith, my friends, is a right relationship to a person, not to a creed. The heart of Christianity is not a set of beliefs. 
it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our substitute, our surety, our representative. When we receive Christ, my friends, we receive righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, redemption. Everything we need is in him. We're not to seek for purity, my friends. When we receive the pure one, Christ, purity will come. We're not to seek for patience. We don't have any. We're to receive the patient one, and then patience will come. We're not to seek for endurance. We don't have any. We're to seek for the one who endured in our stead. So faith, my friends, is a relationship to a person. It has three ingredients, knowledge, assent, commitment. In John 17 and verse 3, our Lord said, This is life eternal, to know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. We need to know about Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and that knowledge, my friends, becomes a part of faith. We need to know that we are sinners, that we've broken his law, that none of us have any claims on God, that we've lived selfish lives, that we're judgment-bound, and then seeing the disease, we look to the great physician, and we assent to what he says about our case. That's the second thing, assenting. Assent, my friends, needs to become commitment. The devil's assent that God is. I like the old, old story about commitment that's been told a thousand times by evangelists about Blondin taking a wheelbarrow across a tightrope over Niagara and then asking the crowd, did they believe he could put a man in there and safely take him across? And it was a young minister that said, yes, Blondin, I believe. I think you could. Blondin said, get in the wheelbarrow. But he disappeared. He wouldn't commit himself. My friends, we have to get into the wheelbarrow with Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to him. If we believe in a doctor, as a doctor, we'll go to him if we need a doctor. If we believe in a banker, as a banker, we'll go to him if we need a banker. If we believe in the saviour, as a saviour, we'll go to him because we all need him. So faith has knowledge, assent and commitment. It's been illustrated so often in scripture. When the Israelites took the hyssop, which was just a weed outside their houses, and dipped it in the blood and applied it to the to the lintels and the doorposts. That was faith. When the bitten Israelites looked at the serpent on the banner staff, that was faith. Adam and Eve in the beginning took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and died spiritually. When Jesus came as the second Adam, he said, take, eat. And the taking of the emblems in the Lord's Supper is symbolic of what faith is all about. It's receiving Jesus. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, says Scripture. When Spurgeon was a young boy looking for salvation, he wandered one day into a little Methodist church. And the real preacher wasn't there, which may have been a very good thing. There was a lay preacher there. They never found out later whether it was a butcher or a tailor or a candlestick maker. But this man knew the gospel, and he is preaching on that text. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And he said, now it says, look, look unto me, not the Father, but the Son. Look at me, hanging on the cross. Look, look. He said it doesn't take a $1,000 a week to look. Anyone can look. 
Whether you're young or old, or rich or poor, or wise or ignorant, anyone can look. Look! And then he saw the little boy Spurgeon in the back seat. He said, young man, you look miserable. You always will be unless you look. Look unto Jesus and be saved. And Spurgeon looked and lived and told the millions of earth that by looking they could find eternal life. Man lost life by his unbelief. We regain life by believing. We've got to dance, Adam's dance, backwards. We have to repent of our unbelief, of Adam's unbelief, in order that we might live and live forever. To believe means to put God back into the centre of one's thinking. The greatest philosophical problem of our day is that of the one and the many. Man searches for a single ordering principle that will bring unity to the manifold phenomena of life's experience. My friends, the answer to the philosophical problem of the one and the many is that God is the one. And spiritual sanity comes when we recognise that. It was Archibald McLeish who said, the sickness of our day is the sickness of disorder. Multifarious phenomena, undisciplined, unorganised, uncomposed. Our desperate need is to impose upon the world of chaotic phenomena in order of understanding. My friends, that understanding only comes through the gospel. The human mind cannot rest on a world uninterpreted. Only in Christ is truth found and peace and righteousness. My friends, you can know today that you have eternal life. For whosoever will may come, and all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven unto those that come. For Christ has promised, he that cometh, I'll in no wise cast out. Come today, my friend, receive, believe, and live eternally. God bless you.